This is Simuse TV, and you're listening to the F1 Fallout. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the F1 Fallout here. Just looked at the uh, the Formula One Esports World Championship. Let's flood the name already. We are doing a fantastic job. 10 out of 10. Go. 10 out of 10. As you can hear, the man on the left-hand side of me is Mr. Randy Cheneth, driver at Team Chimera, broadcaster at RaceBot TV. Joining, of course, Mr. Hashtag, do you mind himself, Jake Sperry. Randy, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. It's a uh, wonderful Thursday. It is a very wonderful Thursday, although it is a wonderful whatever day it is when this will come out. But of course, a couple of days ago, we had a look at the Formula One Esports World Championship, the event that would eclipse all events, the event which holds the golden ticket to what has to be a mainstream sim racing. And... Honestly, the first thought I had after that event, Randy, was Visa Vegas E-Race, hold my avocado. Yeah, hold hold my avocado indeed. It was it was interesting. It wasn't necessarily bad. It wasn't necessarily terrible, but it left quite a bit to be desired, in my opinion. Yes, and we're going to go on in quite a bit of detail, I think, about everything that's going to happen. And... We're going to start with a few positives here. And, of course, both of us being broadcasters, Randy, there's not many better teams you can get with the likes of Jack Nichols and Davide uh, Valseshi in terms of a broadcast duo. Of course, Davide does Formula 2, always very bright, very animated, as esports has to be. Jack Nichols did the Visa Vegas E-Race, and arguably... Although some of us don't like it in uh, in broadcasting terms, Jack Nichols has become Mr. Esports. Yeah, he sort of has. I mean, the, my issues with you know a lot of the show is isn't really with the commentators themselves. I thought the commentators themselves did a pretty good job. Um, you know, I have some uh, some issues about some of the people they've chosen to got to get, and David's sort of one of those. And it has nothing to do with the the quality or you know his actual commentating whatsoever. I thought he did a fantastic job, and uh, uh, I don't know. There's just to me, it's you know, and we're gonna go on with this, you know, for a while for sure. But you know, Jack Jack's a good shout. He comes from the sim racing you know background. But, you know, overall, between the commentators, and we'll talk about the analysts for sure, I just thought it just lacked a number of people who actually come from this community as opposed to, you know, either be it real racing or, you know, being a someone just from the Gfinity group. Exactly. And um, the one thing that struck up in my mind was, the, what does the front wing actually do? Yeah, that was, um, I can't remember his name, so I, I do apologize. And, and you know, like, like I said, it's not that any of them did a bad job themselves. It's not like, oh, you're terrible, you're, you know, you should never work in this again. It's like, no, um, you know, that that's not my opinion whatsoever. It's just that you're coming in, really, this is the first big broadcast, first live event for this championship. And across the board, we have Jack, who was, you know, he's come from a sim racing background, as to my knowledge, hasn't really been involved in about six years, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but he has been sort of out of the loop. You have David, who, you know, you could make the argument that having someone with such a heavy accent shouldn't be what is, you know, essentially a predominantly uh, international stream that needs to be in English. Uh, and that, to me, isn't that far-fetched of a, uh, a complaint coming from a group that constantly hears about how terrible it is to hear Alvin on air. Uh, and then, you know, you also... Looking back to the booth itself, the the analyst group rather. I mean, you have 
the Gfinity presenters is always going to, you know, if, if there's going to be that sort of insert from whatever broadcast company who decided to contract this out to your presenter. And then you had uh, Karen Shandock. And then the uh, the guy from WTF One, who's uh, Matty G, his real name actually escapes me. Matty G is a Matt pretty Gallagher. good shout. Yeah, Matt Gallagher, he's a good he's a good shout. But you know, it it just sort of is like, oh, this it's there's just seems to be this big push for sim racing esports. That, oh, it needs to be like real racing. It needs to be like real racing. Here's a real you know team and you know an engineer or real commentators you know who do the real series. And there's a a lot of the actual community itself is just getting left behind. Yes, and I think Karen Chandok was there because he is a very good analyst, and the analyst work that he does uh, on Sky Sports F1 has been very good. The stuff that he does on um, on television always has been to a very good standard, but it was shown that he was a little bit out of his depth when it came to this v um this broadcast of the world championships because you look at Karen Chandok, he is an older generation of driver and an older generation of character and personality. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the issue comes in the fact that you have to know your stuff. And if you're umming and ahhing about technology and what things are doing, and you have to have fifty-four different bits of paper in front of you just to understand what's going on then why shouldn't a person like, say, Ryan Littlemore from uh, Infinity Simsport jump in, uh, who has the Formula One knowledge and the YouTube channel to back it up? Why doesn't someone like Jimmy Broadbent come in, or even Scott Woodwiss onto that panel who did the R Factor 2 McLaren's World's Fastest Gamer? When you have those sorts of personalities there who can really add that little bit more into a broadcast, Randy, do you feel that maybe... Uh, Karun Chandok was a little bit out of his depth. I mean, you know, it, like you said, it's nothing against Karun, you know, personally whatsoever, and it's, and it is something that someone could definitely learn. But I would, I would definitely agree with that. Like someone like Scott, someone like Jimmy. There's, you know, a handful of other names. There's, you know, of course, coming from other depths. There's people, you know, even to not sound biased, you got people from Racebot, other sim racing commentary teams, other sim racing broadcasting teams, and not even just from the iRacing service. There's groups that are factors. There's groups that, you know, there's a lot of people that have been been involved with the sim for a really long time that I think would have been a much better shout. Because really, you know, we that that's the one thing that was really missing from the analyst desk is that there was no story about the drivers. There was no background about the drivers whatsoever. For anyone who's a first-time viewer, they're basically going to, you know, if someone was a first-time viewer watching this, they have no idea who any of these names are. They have no idea what any of them have done. They'd have no idea about any of their history at all. They're, we we actually sort of heard this complaint from some of the drivers themselves in the Peak Antifree series at, at Racebot, and we've done some things to try to fix it, and that they were just sort of just names on a screen without any background whatsoever. There was no... There was no interaction with the sim racing community at large, I felt. And and that comes down maybe to the fact that Formula One has to remain impartial. There was no mention of McLaren's World's Fastest Gamer because that shows impartiality to McLaren. Um, there was no mention of any sim racing team, so you didn't hear the likes of Inex or Core or whatever Formula One team. Bam! With um, Brenton Lee. Uh, Brendan Lee, actually. Um, which is very... Uh, weird to hear but in a sense randy do you feel that formula one backed themselves into a corner on that situation 
Impartiality to me goes multiple ways. Impartiality means one of two things. You can either say I'm impartial and not mention anything, or you can go I'm impartial and you freely talk about the other things. This is something we actually have to deal with on RaceBot with iRacing. iRacing, you know, I think it's it's not really a secret that you know iRacing doesn't like us talking about other sims, which to a certain extent we sort of are able to just skate by with. Uh, but you know, for example, coming after this, we we can't talk about. You know, the, the fact that some of these drivers have done so good, we can't be like, oh, Max Benecki got through in the Formula 1 esports thing. We can't, you know, we can't talk about any of the iRacing drivers on any broadcast. You know, we can talk about the fact that he, uh, that they, oh, they did really good on him. But that's really about it. And to me, impartiality goes a lot more ways. And it results in the sim. Yes, I can understand why Formula 1 and why Codemasters don't want other sims being talked about on the broadcast. I get it. What I don't understand is why these drivers why someone you know get drivers from uh, apex at one point there's drivers from pure racing team drivers from core all these drivers that have extended even beyond just a single sim like core sim racing for example that's a team whose history goes back to lfs and they you know they are not just an i racing team they've branched out onto other sims in the past the fact that those drivers can't promo themselves they can't promo their teams they can't promo their sponsors you know, it, to me, it's it's not impartial for Formula One, for a Formula One esports broadcast to have after the driver after the race, it shows underneath their name Mercedes or Toro Rosso or Force India. You're essentially, I won't say you're giving promotion to those teams because the people watching them know who those groups already are. There's no extra promotion happening, but there's other groups that need this exposure that support the drivers that you're watching that get you know essentially nothing. They might pay you know. Whatever sponsorship they give the teams, the drivers, is in a lot of ways almost worthless to them. And it, it's it's just a very narrow-minded view to be like, oh, well, no, you can't talk about that at all. Yes, and that certainly does come into play. And, of course, during the pre-show, I know you weren't available to watch that, but some of the packages were replayed during the ad breaks that we certainly saw. But from my first impression of that pre-show coverage, and even on the post-show coverage as well... I feel that there was a lot to be done and actually a lot was very good out of the amount of money that was put into the packages that they were putting in, going over rules, going over the likes of um, the facts and figures over F1 2017. I thought they put a lot of effort into those and that showed some very good progress. Yeah, I mean, there was certainly, the, the production value of the event itself was very good. The actual, you know, the, the people running the event, like I said, even the people working the, the commentator's desk and the analyst's desk, uh, both of those pe uh, groups, some of them having, you know, some experience from this uh, sort of community, sim racing community, others not, I feel they did very well. There's just other things, it, it seems to be other behind-the-scenes sort of issues that really are the problem. It's like, well, maybe, you know, like we said, we talked about the, you know, Maybe Karun Chandok would be someone that you could put in a Jimmy Broadbent or a Scott Woodwiss. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, that's a minor fix. Most of the issues were, you know, okay, the one presenter, presenter. I don't know why I said that stupid, probably because I'm an idiot. Um, uh, you know, he seemed to have very little knowledge of motorsport in general, which is fine. There's not a lot of people, especially in the esports world, that know a lot about motor racing. However, there is one that would have been a very good shout. Granted, I'm not sure if he would have actually been available, and that's Sadakist from the Counter-Strike community. Sadakist actually owns a race car that has gotten that got stolen a while back, um, and he actually worked the WFG thing. There might be an impartiality thing there. 
I'm not exactly sure, but Seda Kiss would have been a good shout for someone who's really experienced for a big esports style event to be a presenter for it. Uh, and like I said, other people within the sim racing community from, you know, insert name here, you can pretty much pick anyone you want that may have been a better fit. Um, and then just the fact that the teams and the drivers are just essentially names that, you know, unless you know who they were, it's like, who are these people? Exactly. And there was no mention really of the road that people got into qualifying and how they managed to get themselves there. There was no mention of the 30-10 split. There was no mention of the, the throwback to leagues or anything like that in the broadcast. So that was something that was a little bit glossed over. But something that did catch my eye in the pre-show, and it's the last thing I'll do before we actually break down into the races. You could hear, Randy, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look back at it, but you could actually hear the in-game audio over the opening 15 minutes or so of the pre-show. And that in itself sort of set a tone. In the early goings, knowing you could hear that audio over what everything was going on and there was no drives on track. It may have been a practice. It may have just been setting things up. But ultimately, those sorts of errors are ones you instantly look to cut out to in any television. Really? I mean, it, it is sort of it is a rookie mistake. You know, I, I will give I'll generally give a pass for these sorts of mistakes. Should they be happening? No. Should they be happening, especially considering who's getting contracted out to cover these events? No, they shouldn't. Um, but at the same point, it's their first go-round. It's a bit of a rookie mistake. It's not the most serious one in the world. It gets a little bit of a pass. But I've been, you know, it's not something you can do very often. And I have experience producing events. You know, basically me just solo. Uh, I've recently had RaceBot become one of the producers in actual do stream outputs as opposed to just commentary at times a lot of you know there's a good chunk of shows uh, that i'm doing now where i'm actually just working behind the scenes and i know that what they're using technologically is a lot more advanced than what i have access to because i'm just on obs i'm sure they have a lot more whiz bang gizmos uh, behind the scenes to play with it is a pretty simple fix and is usually a button is it more complicated for them behind the scenes? I don't know. I can't say, but I would be surprised if it happened again, and it didn't happen again throughout the rest of the show. So it is likely just a one-time thing. That's, you know, okay, you get a bit of a pass there, but don't let it happen again. You're, you know, you got a pretty big backer putting these events on. Little mistakes like that can't just crop up. Exactly. And on that note, we'll head into race one, which was... Oh, God. Well, actually, just before that, four races were not broadcast, and I think that surprised everyone, Randy, in the fact that four races, uh, the first four races, shall we say... Um, I think they were at Imola, right? No, they were at Interlagos. Interlagos. nobody saw any of them. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the reasoning exactly was behind that. I'm, I'm going to assume they had some sort of time crunch issue, but... You know, four races didn't go off. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. That's not something I've been able to, you know, really dive into and be like, oh, this is what happened in those races. But, yeah, it is sort of, you know, why aren't those getting broadcasted in some way, shape, or form, or even recorded? You know, those races have to happen. You have the commentators on hand. You have the broadcasters on hand. Even if you can't stream the races live for XYZ reason, they're is no reason you can't record those and either put together a highlights package to upload on the internet at a later point or just flat out even just stream them live like 
I don't know. I don't. I don't understand the logic. If if those races had to be run, and everyone was there, I don't. I don't see how one plus one doesn't equal two. Well, the funny thing is, the only time we managed to see that was through the end credits finishing sequence that we saw a little bit of that but that's by the by and that really did surprise me but race one intermediate conditions 10 drivers looking to get themselves through even though there's 20 driver slots available they have to use two for production that's a different point race one rainy conditions and you see brendan lee decimate the field and win by at least over 10 seconds over the course of 13 laps which is almost unprecedented but the big thing comes around this whole debate of was it equal cars or was it the case of realistic vehicles? And there's two settings that you can have. Equal, every vehicle's the same, realistic. They are basically stunting everything. The Mercedes is God. The, the Mercedes is God. And that, in essence, was not clarified by Formula One, was not clarified at all after the event. No rerun was there. And there is also the fact that you look at the situation of a 45-minute delay between races. The thing that strikes out to me is the fact that you have drivers who are down 6 to 10, for example, that we know very well as iRacers. And it's not a case that they're bad drivers at all. You had Maximilian Beneke down the order, Isaac Price, Graham Carroll, Sebastian Dunkel, all there down the order. And you're seeing them four seconds a lap slower than Brendan Lee. And Brendan Lee's a very good driver, very quick driver, always racing those AOR races. But for everyone else, Frederick Rasmussen was at the top trying to win his race. Patrick Holtzman was up there trying to win his race. Oli Packler was there-ish in the middle of the pack, but he wasn't dropping back four seconds off the leader. That leads me to believe, in my opinion that they were running on realistic and not equal. Yeah, I I think it's pretty evident. I mean, looking right here, the results of race one. The, I mean, the best lap times as we go down the order, Brendan Lee, fastest lap, 42-5. Niccolo Farino in second, 43-2. Patrick Kruich, a 44-1. Igor Fraga, a 45-1. Miguel Ballister, a 45-9. And then it just 46-2, 46-5, 46-4. And then back, you know, it stays there. I mean... Four seconds is an immense amount of time that I, I completely agree. And it's not that someone like Max Beneke or Sebastian Dunkel is like, oh, well, they're so good in this sim, they're going to go over to that sim and just dominate. That's not the argument that's being made. The argument that's being made, I think, to me, the one name that really stands out is Isaac Price. Because Isaac is someone who, when it comes to the World Fastest Gamer situation, he basically bought a console, got onto their sim within two days, got qualified for World's Fastest Gamer, you're telling me he's then going to go over to F1 2017 and be four seconds plus off the pace. I don't believe that. And to me, I think it's pretty evident that there was just a screw up behind the scenes and they had it on realistic. And basically, whoever was in the Mercedes and whoever was in the Ferrari, so long as they didn't put it in the wall, they were pretty much guaranteed to skip on to the next round. Pretty much, you know, I, I don't see any other way of explaining that. That, that pace difference. Yeah, in the mid-pack, you could argue is a lot closer, but still, 20% of the field, 30% of the field, arguably, especially if you include the Red Bull, which is in the, you know, the only car in the 44s, you know, that's, that's a pretty big screw-up, and that's a race that should have been rerun. I, I agree on that situation as well, and it was clear 
looking at social media afterwards and the post that I put up, I had Maximilian Beneke say GP2 engine. That's all I'll have to say with his McLaren that he was... Was running. he in a launcher? Uh, oh, I wish he was. I really wish he was in a launcher. That would be uh, something to just keep in mind as things go on. But, you know, when you put yourself in that situation and you look at Brendan Lee and how good he is... Yes, he is a very, very good driver, and I'd like to see how well he does. Uh, but actually, I thought this was a massive challenge for Brendan Lee to actually get up on stage and do what he does, mainly because, a little bit like me, he has that social communication disorder, Randy. And I think that that interview that he had to do afterwards was a massive challenge for him. I didn't actually watch it, so I really can't comment. Um, you know, I, I, like you said, I, I missed the first couple races uh, did work, um, and I, I caught the tail end of the third one, and then I caught the, uh, the entirety of the fourth one, uh, but I do know some of the stories of what happened, and, you know, for Brendan Lane, that, I think that is one of the, uh, one of the, um, talking points within the sim racing community, uh, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna, if we decide to do another podcast on the subject you and I are thinking about, we might talk about issues with social, social, uh, social interaction and communications uh, among some people in the sim racing community, but that's another subject. But, I mean, you know, if if, if that's the situation, you know, fair enough for him, you know, and, and good job to whatever he did. It, I understand. And, you know, really, for someone on that spectrum, I think even for you, Jake, you likely empathize a lot more than me, but getting up on, knowing that you're not only talking to those two, three people at the desk next to you, but however many X thousand people are watching on the broadcast, That's that's got to be an anxiety-driven sort of situation. Yeah, it certainly does, and that can really be difficult to get your head around when you're up there and you're struggling, but this isn't a psychology lesson. Unfortunately, we've got to continue on. Race two, and this was an interesting race two because we had right at the very beginning... A false start. One of the vehicles was not in session. So what happened was they had to stop, take everything back, wait another five minutes, and then start that race all over again. And they did the right thing in that situation and not run that race even further. But there was a lot of confusion on the desk because they hadn't heard anything that had been going on. And I don't know how much communication there is between the adjudicators room and the broadcasters, but... It was like, yes, we're going. No, we're not going. Oh, wait, session hosts migrated RIP servers. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar enough with F1 2017 to actually say what the issue was there. But, you know, the the decision to rerun the race, you know, get everyone in is, of course, a good one. Um, that would, uh, that would, let's just say, n not reflect well if someone got their, you know, put in all the effort, got themselves qualified, uh, and then because of some issue that may or may not be their own fault, uh, they didn't get into the server, uh, had to go home because of it. So good on them for taking the five minutes, but like you said, maybe some issues with communication. Uh, that should be something that's relatively simple, especially in the esports community, because uh, I've seen some very, very major things halt events. I've seen you know people have PC issues. I've seen hardware failures. I've seen DDoS situations. I've seen events get and take get taken down for hours and hours and hours in the past uh you know be that dota be that counter-strike be the halo tournaments in the past it's, it's i've seen some pretty immense uh hardware fa hardware failures and this you know is pretty simple one should have been communicated maybe a little bit more clearly and you know i think especially you and me jake can emphasize when you have that technical issue and you have no idea what's going on how do you try to fill 
X amount of time, especially the commentators. Did they know they have to? They had to fill five minutes. Were they thinking they might have to fill an hour? You know, what did the commentators really think? You know, there's a lot of things that go through your head. You know, especially as someone who's sort of been in that situation to a certain extent, over other people who's like, oh, it's not a big deal. You just fill air. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, and it's a skill that does take a bit of time to master. And I'm not the best at filling time. I hope that. Uh, I could certainly improve on that in my career, but there was also some more issues with technology during the race, especially on the opening lap where Harry Jacks, who is essentially uh, the fanboy's favourite, shall we say, being Noble2909 on YouTube, being very famous with the likes of Matt Gallagher, uh, Arava, Tiamat Marduk, all that sort of crowd, uh, he would get what he'd call four seconds of a black screen, which would force him off track wide at turn number four five out on circuit so he had to do basically a guess without hitting anybody off but if the screen's going off then there is a little bit of cause for concern with the technology knowing that they've got to use it again in about a month's time in Abu Dhabi yeah that's not something you can have happen especially in you know in a format that's so short I mean it's it's just sort of I don't know, a screen going black for four seconds is absolutely huge, and it, it's just, that that's not something that can just happen. Unfortunately, it's not something that's entirely preventable. You know, it, it is very well possible that the fault isn't on that of the, uh, of, of the organizers, but, you know, it's still, that's something that needs to be looked into. Um, something I'm actually not sure of, I'm not actually seen it clarified, and this is a question I've had based on what I had on the screen. Do we know, were they, were, were they running on a PC build of the game, or were they running on a console build? a PC build. build. It was a PC build? Okay. Um, you know, there's, there's of course, all sorts of issues that could have potentially happened there, but if it just happened once, and if it didn't really happen again, okay, maybe not a big deal, a little bit of a hiccup, sorry to Harry Jacks, but at the same time, that can't happen in the finals in Abu Dhabi. Oh, certainly not, and I think there's going to be a lot that was happening. It was a good race between Alec van der Waal and Sven Zerner uh, from minute one to last, and they had themselves a very good battle, but... Something else that I was noticing during that race, and of course this was just before you got there, Randy, was that ever so slightly throughout the entirety of that second race, you could hear a little echo of some sort. I don't know whether it would be a voice chat. I didn't know if it was maybe the likes of, say, someone in the truck's voice getting brought through onto the feed slightly. But whatever it was, there was a little bit of something there that, you know... Very, very minor, but something that does detract away from overall quality. Yeah, and, you know, what that issue may have been, like you said, it could be just about anybody. It could be someone behind the scenes. It could be the commentators. Who who really knows where the source of that was? Just, you know, a little hiccup. Like you said, it detracts a little bit from the overall quality, something that likely shouldn't happen. But that said, just... So hopefully, you know, learn from that, live, learn, move on, and don't let it happen again, hopefully, and, uh, you know, really no harm, no foul in the grand scheme of things. No, no harm in the grand scheme of things at all, and we saw some fantastic strategy and battle in the second race, which saw about a train of five, um, which was dubbed as a bus at some stage instead of a train, because uh, the driver began with a B instead, but... Still, some very good battling that we saw up and down the field. And something that did catch my eye was that on the commentary booth, it was technically made a three-man booth because you had Davide uh, Valsecchi, you had Jack Nichols, and sometimes you had occasional comment from Matt Gallagher. 
And I, I think it came very relevant in this second race, especially with how much he's worked and been around Harry Jacks for a very long time. It was almost as if you had the bias counter being thrown in with the likes of Harry Jackson that he was being put on a pedestal above other drivers and it almost felt in a sense that Matt who has done uh, broadcasted races on Apex Online Racing be it for Formula One he did one iRacing broadcast as well but it, it felt like it was almost undermining what everybody else was set, was trying to do in terms of impartiality at times it was a mixed message as someone, you know, because this is something I'm very much experienced with. I've I've broadcasted races that my teammates are in. I mean, hell, this past weekend I had to pick up and uh, do the last hour of, of SEO so you could move on to uh, move World's on to um, World's Fastest Gamer. That's right. My teammates were in that race. Josh Chin, who I've raced with for a number of years. Jamie Wilson, who's you know I've been a teammate with now for about a year. I've done broadcasted races in the past with phoenix when i was at phoenix i did broadcasted races in the past with new world simsport when i was at new world simsport i have experience in this and and the very simple answer is you cannot you can not under any situation let that in that partiality let that bias come through on air you can't give your friend because you do a youtube channel or you're your sim racing teammate whatever the case may be you cannot let that bias uh leak out on air and I'm sorry to say it, I'm just going to be blunt. And if it if that if it does leak out on air, simply put, it's just unprofessional. We've had issues with this at Race Spot in the past with a couple commentators who, as they're broadcasting races, uh, you know, there'll be someone they know, be it a team, be it drivers, and you can just tell as they're speaking, there's a pretty you know big sense of partiality. You you can't let that seek through. Otherwise, that just it it just takes away from the from everything else. It certainly does, and it's a very fine line that a lot of people have to tread and ultimately always get accused at some stage of rolling one side or the other off as much as they try and stay on that line. So it is something always to keep in mind, and I think it's something that has to be addressed, especially when you're so intrinsically linked with a series coming in and you're having drivers from that series being a part of the racing that's going on you have to stay very much professional but to race three and again another dry race and it started picking up from here a little bit but there were still things that came into light that really did bug a lot of people this was when you came in you saw it as well randy pit assist in a world championship they have the option to turn it off but they leave it on for this semi-finals, and they'll probably leave it on for the finals as well. Well, I think it's for race three and four. I don't think it was on for races one and two. It's the fact that we didn't see it in races one and two, that we didn't see pit stops. There was no pit stops in the opening race because it was wet. And in the second race, we didn't necessarily see any drivers come down in onto the box. But what we saw was Chen Bolabasi almost completely demolish the race leader in front of him to a massive shock of Jack Nichols and Davide. And then suddenly you see ghosting come into play because you've got one vehicle inside the other. It, it, I, I can see why they've put ghosting in the game. It's to stop deliberate wrecking in online lobbies. Um, but here is where you could say it was certainly exposed as a flaw. 
I mean, yeah, there's, there's no real other way to say it than that. And this is, I mean, in, in the Simcade community, this has always been something that's sort of been there, be it Gran Turismo, be it Forza, be it Formula One, you know, whichever title you want to name. Of course, it's something that uh, that has happened. And it's just sort of... I understand why the pit assist is there. It makes a lot of sense for the more casual players, the more casual people. But in a world championship level event, in my opinion, I don't think it's something that should be there. It should the, the drivers should have to drive the cars. They if that includes you know getting onto and out of pit lane. We've seen world championships on iRacing decided by that. Gregor Hutu in his long reign was one of the best at getting onto and off of pit road. Uh, that's one of the things he was known for. One of the other big, you know, the other big thing is, I I don't see ghosting as an issue. We have ghosting to a certain extent on iRacing, but the way the ghosting was working in this third race was not the way you'd like it. Um, you know, because I understand why there's there'd be a certain extent ghosting on pit lane. The way it works in iRacing is that cars, if cars are in the box, basically they can be ghosted through. That's generally something I'm okay with because a lot of people may not realize it, but. Having a bunch of cars come on pit lane together and drive off a of pit lane can be a potential netcode nightmare uh, from a, a networking point of view, and I don't think there's actually a fix to that one. That's why we see iRacing go ghosting in certain situations on pit lane, likely why you see Codemasters do it. But if these drivers can't get onto and off of pit lane, then like what? What? A, are, it just makes no sense. Like. Oh, it's so realistic. It's you know they're they're like really really good drivers, but they can't do what is one of the most large, excuse me, one of the largest and biggest things that could potentially change the event uh, or the outcome of a race. It, it's just a cop out. Do you feel that it undermines the driver's ability? I don't feel it undermines the driver's ability. I don't think it's I don't think it's a shot at the drivers. I think it's just it it. it it should be something that the drivers are required to do is get onto and off of pit lane themselves. If they're really the best in the world, if they're really good enough to be to be flown out to London, to be flown out to Abu Dhabi and compete in these big events, they should be good enough to get themselves onto and off of pit lane. It's it's really just as simple as that. We've seen drivers do it on iRacing for, what, going on 10 years now? Uh, WC GPS, NASCAR Peak Antifree Series. Endurance racing, you name it, you have to get the car onto and off of pit road the hard way. If you're so good, you should be able to do it on F1 2017 as well. Yeah, you certainly should. And on top of seeing ghosting and the pit assist on for the entirety of the tournament, this is the race where we have to talk about the dreaded thing known as driving standards and the penalties that are implemented. Because I don't feel that the penalties were harsh enough basically, and we saw some massive accidents. Donoso and Bolabassi was certainly the one that caught my eye, being two iRacers comparatively, and Donoso like a freight train down to the inside of the Vale, and effectively T-boned Chen Bolabassi, both drivers somehow managing to stay on the circuit. So, driver's standards weren't necessarily the best, but do you feel that they were masked in the fact that in terms of game physics overall, there isn't that much propulsion when it comes to an incident. Maybe to a certain extent. Um, I Because, like I said, I actually came in after this third race. I missed a good number of this. But 
you know, to me, the way to do race marshalling, and a lot of people aren't going to like this, and I know a lot of the drivers aren't going to like this, is if you're going to run races with this format, if you're going to run your events with this format where you have a number of heats that lead into a semifinal, that lead into a final, there has to be a very, very steep penalty for contacts in the race. In the Sim Racing Expo event that we saw, we of course, we saw two events. We saw the sprint format uh, races on Saturday and then the endurance race that you and Connery did on Sunday. In the sprint format races, the actual penalty was if race control decided you were at fault, you were kicked from the server. You weren't given a drive-through. You weren't given a give-the-position-back. If you ended someone's race and race control found you at fault, you were gone. You, Congratulations, you're done. Good luck next year. That needs to be the way these events are really upheld. Because if you're putting such a high um, potential prize on the line, people in those sort of transfer and bubble spots, they're going to race each other hard. People are going to throw stupid moves to get themselves through. And you simply put, can't allow that to be the case because... You know, that person may have just ended someone else's race. If that, you know, someone's in fifth and they transfer, the driver in sixth throws a big dive bomb, takes that fifth place driver out, does some serious damage. Uh, that driver who tried to make that silly pass is able to go on and get through. You have to punish that driver who made that move in some silly way. Does it, does it give that slot to the driver who got taken out of it? No, of course it doesn't. But that doesn't mean it should be green-lighted to just, you know, do whatever the hell you want. You have to wave heavy fist in these events i've seen it from sim racers in the past you give them an inch sometimes they'll want to take a mile it has to be a zero tolerance policy you have to drive within a certain limit you have to drive intelligently to a certain extent you can drive each other hard but there's a difference between driving hard and driving dumb there is a difference and i i think that both of those drivers needed to maybe understand that Nim Cross might have had a bit of a word after an incident like that, if that was Racing World Championship sort of standards of driving. But by the by, um, something that I did no notice throughout Race 3 and actually was a recurring theme throughout the broadcast was that there were a few areas at Silverstone where we saw frame rate drops, Randy. And you'd feel you'd be able to run 60 FPS without too many issues on Formula 1. More than likely, um, like I said, I don't know, I know that there's some issues with some of the encoders, like, I mean, we have issues with this at RaceBot, um, and it's basically some issue with OBS that Hugo's been trying to chase down for the better part of two years now, and for some reason, uh, you know, we'll be watching the races back on YouTube, and it'll just start dropping frames like crazy, and we watch live, you know, actually covering the events producing the events and it doesn't do it in the sim and we it doesn't do it in the preview on obs but for some reason the output uh both the stream and the recording for some reason there's there's some disconnect uh for whatever reason that like i said hugo spent the better part of a year and a half two years trying to chase it down i notice it on you know when i do my recordings it happens to will um so like i said i don't know the entire story there could be an encoding issue that's not to imply that those that they were using G, uh, excuse me, that they were using OBS to broadcast. They were likely using something a little bit more sophisticated, a little, uh, a little bit more professional. But uh, that said, that doesn't mean that the same issues couldn't potentially come across. Yeah, that certainly does seem to be the case. And even though this is a land-based event, you are still seeing a little bit of jumping forward and back from vehicles by minute amounts. And uh, this is a little bit off-topic, but. 
it shows that they should we still... just talk about all the game issues at the end and just go go over issues with the game that Codemasters need to improve? Maybe, maybe. I, I was going to visit this very quickly before hitting race four, um, but it, it, it was a case that if you look at say F1 2015 as a game, you physically saw leagues that were absolutely huge decide we can't run this game because there is massive desync and there is massive lag and we can't do anything we don't know what car is real and what car's not this is a lan event and you think that lan produces no lag at all or minimal lag you know you're talking about lag where you're still seeing vehicles move forward and move back by upwards of i'd say upwards of 15 foot at a time and that's massive for a driver when they can't physically make a pass because there's still a little bit of jumping going on and you don't naturally know where that vehicle is going to be at any one time i know that within the within the iRacing community it's gotten to be a, a little bit of a meme like oh the iRacing netcode is so bad cars jumping around blah 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 yada yada you know rabble rabble a lot of people don't actually realize how good the iRacing netcode is and you know go back and watch older sims being broadcast be that you know the original R Factor. Go back to GTR Two broadcasts. You know, even today, watch R Factor Two broadcasts. Watch that Codemasters event where, like you said, I don't know if it was technically on land because I know a lot of uh, developers of varying games have taken land support out of games that very well may have quote unquote technically been online. But the fact that they're all in the same room should minimize the uh, the effect by a great deal, and it shouldn't essentially be an issue whatsoever. But it just shows that the the actual netcode of the game is subpar. Watch an iRacing broadcast, and unless someone's having a connection issue, the cars look smooth, they run smooth. When cars get loose, they get loose in realistic ways visually. This is visually, not how it feels behind the wheel or anything like that. The cars do realistic things visually. They hop over curbs in good ways. Compare that to what we saw on F1 2017, where cars got loose and they just did this weird kind of wiggle. Like, it didn't really look right. Like you said, you saw cars moving around. You know, that that is netcode as a game. People may not understand it. A lot of people, especially I think from the iRacing community, they might only think netcode has to do with the cars making contact, but netcode goes over a much wider spectrum of networking and watching the cars actually work. Netcode of the game needs some improvement. It's pretty bad if cars are doing that, as you said, on a, on a LAN event. It is, you know, that's unacceptable you don't see that in other esport games you don't see that in counter-strike you don't see that in dota you don't see that in league uh, in you know overwatch you can't have those netcode issues that potentially make or break someone winning a championship someone winning a big race someone going on to the next event in abu dhabi or wherever the case may be we can't just because we're the sim racing community and we're trying to still to a certain extent get off uh, get on our feet uh, you know, really break into this sort of uh, this industry. We can't be like, oh, well, we're kind of new, so we can put a pass on that. No, we can't. It's bogus. Codemasters need to step their game up. Yeah, they certainly um, have some ways that they need to go, but they did do some things quite well. Race four, you can argue argue was probably you could say the most quote unquote acceptable race that we saw. We had no major issues apart from maybe lap one which was a little bit chaotic. But aside from that, there was some great strategy play. There was great battling up and down the field, and there was a battle going on for uh, 
the win and for the top three. And when you look at the racing that went on, you had the likes of Marcel Kiefer go from 10th to 3rd within two laps and then try and hold on to it from there. And ultimately, it showed that there was a great amount of talent that the driver who finished last in that opening race could still finish on the podium, even starting from the back of the grid. Yeah, that that, that final race was really good. I... I... Liked it a lot. Like you said, fantastic fights uh, for the win with some iRacers that, you know, we knew quite well. Some good fights, you know, in the middle of the field, some contacts. And, uh, you know, th this is where I heard that um, that quote from the uh, Gfinity presenter. His name escapes me. Um, if, if he ends up watching this, I do apologize. Uh, you know, when, when we heard that, what does the front wing uh, do quote, and that's when basically everyone who is watching the race spot team speak universally facepalmed and groaned. Um... But overall, yeah, I thought race four was quite good. It had some action, saw some cars get damaged, some good, decent tire strategy coming through, good fight for the win. That, that race, you know, I, I probably wouldn't doubt that it was the best race of the four. Yeah, it certainly was. I had a slight nitpick with the camera work because uh, there was a time when there, were bat there was battle going on for the race lead, battle going on for third that every time you knew that move was going to happen, it would cut away to the other battle and you'd get a little bit frustrated. I know that working on those cameras were a couple of people from the Apex Online racing community. Uh, Knut Martinson, who was uh, the man that gave me my first job in sim racing, um, which is... So we have him to blame. Yes, yes, we. They, you do have him to blame for me basically being who I am today. Um, and I... Name slips me on the other one. I think it was Dan Hawkins. I'm not too sure. But having people who are already in sim racing doing those in-game cameras was a very good thing. But the question of, I hope everything was okay, it wasn't bad. But, you know, I think people wanted to see the battle that was going on for the race lead. I think even the broadcasters themselves, Jack and Davide, Got a little bit lost with the cut to, oh, this is happening. Okay, this is the battle go for pin number three. Oh, and look, he's passed. I'm not sure what they have at their disposal. Um, I can tell you that they were observing on an Xbox, or on a controller anyways, which is why I asked the question if they were running on a PC build or not. Um, which I'll talk about that on, you know, because I do want to talk about some issues with the game itself uh, a little bit later on. But, um, let the camera work, it, I think every event that's ever happened, people have complained about the camera work. It certainly wasn't bad, it wasn't terrible, but there are definitely some examples, as you said, that stand out. Like, why are we cutting away from the lead fight to go to third? And this is actually something, I mean, I've even said this to Hugo behind the scenes during races. Uh, we were watching in the closing, so I can't remember what it was. It may have been, I can't actually remember what it was. It's been a while. Um, it was some. I think it was sometime this past week, though. Uh, where we were watching a fight for the race win an event and Hugo was wanting to go back and watch a fight for like eighth or ninth or something and uh, oh no this is this is actually in the in the SCO race this is between uh, Vendaval and um, Mavano Mavano yes for the the race win the last hour of the race he, I mean Hugo was like go go back and watch this fight go back and watch this fight and it's like mid Packers and other classes. And it, it's, you know, I, I even said to Hugo in the chat, I was like, we're watching a race for the race win. Don't take the cameras off of this. Don't, don't, me and Connery essentially don't care. Just keep it on, you know, the fight for the race win. There's 10 minutes left in the event. We need to stay on this. Um, you know, and that, that to me is one of the big things, at least production-wise. Yeah, you want to give everyone fair airtime. I understand that. You want to, you know, 
point the camera at everyone to, to a certain extent. So even if they don't get out of it, they can be like, oh, I was on TV on one of the bigger uh, sim racing esports events that have happened. But you need to be willing, you need to understand, you know what? It doesn't matter if that person goes home without being on TV for very long. Because we have what is a very interesting and a very intense fight for the race win that takes precedence over anything else on the track. Exactly. And it was very nice to see the battling that happened. And at the end of that event, we saw a lot of question marks thrown in the air. Now, this is one of the things that I was having a look at, is the fact that there was a long wait for drivers where between a race finish and them actually knowing race results. And it, it seems to be a worrying trend that if you've got time to fill, watch sim racers looking at a screen because <laughs> nobody really knows what to do and it looks very awkward. I, I think it was a point that a friend of mine, Conor Maddock, made, which was let them go off and let them relax. You don't need to hoard them around like sheep and make them look awkward on camera because... Ultimately, if a decision is going to take 25, 30 minutes uh, for final or classified results, shall we say, let them have a break for 25, 30 minutes. They don't need to be hoarded around like sheep. Yeah, you, you can definitely, you know, you probably need to give them a bit of a bigger, you know, window. But then at the same point, and this is not even just from a sim racing thing, I just understand this is, you know, coming from someone with a bit of an esports background. If you're waiting on results, if you're waiting, you know, from I've played in a couple gaming tournaments before, there isn't quite the anxiety of waiting for the results, waiting for your upcoming bracket. Who are you playing next? Um, I'm sure to a certain extent the drivers were hurting themselves around like cheap because they were anxious to see the result. Did I? Excuse me. Did I slip in? Did I? You know? Did I get bumped out? You know? I'm sure there's a, a couple of reasons there. That said, you know, kind of like you said, it's like it was a bunch of sim racers. Who were wearing F1 esports T-shirts and maybe hats, and that's about it. And they were just standing around. Um, you know, no, no one in the sim racing community has any uh, any broadcaster training or any you know understanding how to interact on air. So everyone, like you said, was awkwardly just kind of sitting around and like, oh look, there's a camera. And this is actually one of the reasons why I think it, it'd be a great why they need to allow the drivers and especially allow the teams. To promote themselves because if they're going to use that those shots that's great i don't mind watching the sim racers interact with one another and you know maybe pulling s some of them you know for interviews but if you're going to have them on screen why can't they be wearing a core sim racing t-shirt why they why can't they be wearing a red line t-shirt why can't they be you know wearing xyz t-shirt here and um and that's going to be a little bit ironic me saying that team Redline needs to get more product placement done <laughs> but um but it, it it is just sort sorry, of like you, you know sorry did you want dom doing to have an interview no comment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that that's the point, at least for the drivers, where they can get their teams out there. They can get their sponsors out there. That's for the drivers when they can allow themselves and their peers to get opportunities and get doors open for themselves and get bigger contracts from their sponsors. The sponsor's like, oh, hey, you just got our logo on one of the biggest events ever. That's what you want to happen. That's what you need to have happen. And have everyone there with just an F1 Esports shirt on. I mean, what is... Why, why is it, and this, you know, people are like, well, we're trying to be like real life. Why does Sebastian Vettel and T Kimi Raikkonen, why do they get to have red overalls with Ferrari logos and things that look like Marlboro logos that aren't and everything else on their jersey or on their uh, the, the driver's seat? Why does Team Red Bull get to do what they do? Mercedes with Patronus, and, you know, it goes on. 
why do us as sim racers, why are we just going to allow ourselves to be second rate and just be like, and just, you know, oh yeah, we have to do it. F1 Esports says, well, I mean, I understand you have to, if that's what they say, you have to comply. But why, why are you going to put that standard on the sim racers? Why aren't you going to allow them to promote themselves, their teams, their brands? Exactly. And I, I think this comes from an overarching issue that sim racing doesn't have a governing body fully yet. ISRF are in the final stage of development in Germany. But is it a point that you look at that sim, sim racing is maybe too easily abusable by important companies like Formula One? I think, I think part of the problem lies where a lot of the drivers and a lot of the teams allow themselves to even be abused. Because I've pretty much seen from everyone, and I'm, and I'm sure that there's a contract somewhere. Actually, maybe people signed contracts, maybe they didn't. But the overall reaction from teams of drivers has been really, really positive, and that actually scares me. Because for me, as someone yep. who it's has... Ex it's, yes. in the, it's in the contract that they are not allowed to be negative at all. Interesting. And that scares the living daylights out of me because as someone who comes from like i said i have an esports background i didn't work for mlg major league gaming but i did some behind the scenes uh stuff with them i did some game type and gameplay testing um you know i, kn I knew people behind the scenes i knew how the events were run i knew people who you know i i wasn't someone who made decisions but i was someone who helped those decisions to a certain extent get made uh being involved at Race Spot, you know, being someone who's done commentary work behind the scenes, I've seen how these sorts of things work. I've seen how communities such as Counter Strike Global Offensive, which is something that started out so small, how the teams, how the organizations, how the leagues, how they managed to explode and turn into this huge, huge industry. I've seen it time and time again. I've been following esports since about 2007. And if someone goes back, that's before the big bubble really started to grow here on here on esports. You know, I've I remember when big events were just a small event at a church. You know, very very small local things, and I've seen it grow. And forcing everyone to wear an F1 esports jersey, forcing everyone no, you can't be negative whatsoever in the contract. That's not how this grows. This is how yeah, you're gonna help Formula One as a brand, sure. But you as a driver, you as a team, you are not going to do anything to help themselves. For example, Jake, it's been what, six months since the Vegas E-Race thing? Ten months. Ten Has it been that long? Jesus. It's January 6th. Jesus, I didn't realize it had been that long. So almost a year. All of those drivers had to be associated in some way, shape, or form with a team. With a real team. That mm. actually races in Formula E. How many of those sim racing drivers are still associating with those Formula E teams? None. I, well, actually, one. Enzo Benito. So, of, out of all of those drivers, there was, what, 40, I think? Total... Uh, I know it got narrowed down for the final event, but there were... I know a large number of drivers, as it got closer and closer to the finals, that were interacting with those big teams. Mm. Yes. So, go ahead. And you see that there's, what, one left after a year? And that in a sense, is only down to the fact that he's become the simulator test driver for Techita. Yeah, and it, it's just, you know, that that's, that's the future of sim racing if we allow ourselves to essentially just be governed and be ruled by these real racing series. What's going to happen is this big event's going to pop up. 
the organizers of the championship, the or, the teams themselves are going to be like, oh, hey, we can, you know, we can get some promo done on this. Let's pick up one of these drivers. We'll throw one of our T-shirts on him and, you know, fly him out to the, to the shop and, you know, really not much money, not much investment on their part. Get some exposure. They'll definitely build them as a fan for life. And then after it happens, regardless if you're successful or not, they just go away. I mean, I remember Graham Carroll, for example. Graham Carroll... As it, as it was coming up to the final of that event, there were actual teams that were promoing him. Like, Graham Carroll's going to be so good. I can't remember what team he was aligned with. but um, um Was it the uh, DS Virgin team? I think so. It was, it was whichever team that he was, like, put in, you know, aired with, essentially. And it's like, they were like, he's going to do so good. The race happens. He doesn't win the event. And him and even the people who won the event just sort of move on and move on to another sim. And it's sort of like... Where is this, you know, everyone, the problem with sim racing as an eSport is that the people that are involved in the community are like, we're going to be like real racing. And wow, it's cool. These people who are involved with real racing are now giving us attention. But the people that are actually giving us attention from the quote unquote real racing series don't care nearly enough. There's just not opportunities there that people think that are there to a grand scheme of things. I definitely agree with you on that point, and it's something that has come up in discussion a lot over the past year. I know a lot of uh, discussion was around that at Sim Expo and areas around that, but uh, looking at the drivers who have got themselves through to the quote-unquote final as it was uh, as it was made, but ultimately is going to have to be two semi-finals into a final. So you got Brendan Lee. Alec Vanderval, uh, Sol- uh, Sonic Saltunk and Sally Santuk, uh, Patrick Holtzman, Sven Zerner, Nicolo Fiorini, Cedric Thorne, Cembola Bassi, Frederick Rasmussen, Igo Frago, Joni Tamala, uh, Tiziano Brioni, uh, Patrick Kreutz, Gianfranco uh, Giglioni, uh, Alberto Foltran, Mad Sorensen, Harrison Jacks, uh, Fabrizio Donoso, and Maximilian Benecke. Um, out of those drivers... Yeah, you look at them, and you look at certain drivers that stand out. Brendan Lee most certainly is the driver that's standing out, and I think that the British media are going to get behind and say he is our great hope for this tournament. Um, you look at the likes of Patrick Holtzman, Frederick Rasmussen, both looked incredibly good. Bollock Bashi, uh, even with the front wing damage, looked very good, and Alec van der Waal was very, very impressive uh, from the racing that was happened. Do you feel that out of these 20 that you are going to see a breakout star heading into 2018. It's so hard to predict. It, it's so hard, you know, it, 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 like it really is any, anyone's game at this point. I mean, you have 20 drivers, and like you said, there's a semifinal, and then there's a final. And this this actually does tie in with an eSport thing of what heat do you get? Um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, of general eSports lineage, it's generally what group do you get? Because... Most tournaments these days, they use a round-robin style format. You know, you got 16 teams, you get four groups. A lot of times, you decide who wins that tournament based on the groups. If someone gets a difficult group, you know, someone could go and, you know, sneak through and have a deep run into a tournament. That's a surprise because a lot of the heavy hitters got paired up together and some of them got knocked out. So, it's it's really it's just a big question mark. Who's going to be in each heat? It's so difficult to predict um, with this style of format. Uh, the fact that it's not just going to be a heads-up qualifying and race-style event uh, where all 20 are on track at the same time. I mean, it really is potentially anyone's game. 
It certainly is. And I, I want to slightly backtrack because the closing stages of the event were long and very drawn out, waiting for those final, final results. And it, it was noticed to me that they didn't get the race one result right. Maximilian Beneke uh, was bumped up from 10th to 9th from race one. So he got through on a tie, basically, and got through having a better finish. And then the big graphical error comes up with the scores because they forget to add that second race result in on the points, but they put the drivers in place of where they go. And for Marcel Kiefer, who finished third and would have had 16 points, was classified as not making it, but nobody knew how many points everyone else got. And everybody was like up in arms about it. Like, what's the actual points? And then they didn't go back and show it. Yeah, that's that's a pretty major screw-up. That's something that you have to... You, you can't let that happen. You have to communicate with the drivers. And this is... I mean, this is going to be... I'm pointing the finger pretty much at everyone. Because Formula One, who's putting on the event, they have to come up with a format that's... I don't want to say simple, or it has to be easy, but it has to be understandable. Um, the competitors have to be able to keep track of it especially when you're you know transferring people in on points in this weird way that sort of makes sense but sort of doesn't at the same time uh you know because that that's not really the way i've ever heard of heat racing at all working in the past in any real life series whatsoever um is oh well you're gonna get through on points rather than where you finish that's you know i i've never heard of that ever be that rally cross be that local track you know, racing here in the U.S. where we use heats, you know, it's, it is by default a pretty confusing system. Uh, and then you have to be able to put those results together and you have to be able to actually fundamentally uh, be able to put them out quickly and have the results quickly. You can't have your analysts and drivers sitting around for 20, 30, 40 minutes filling airtime before the viewers, you know, who are tuning in to what is probably at least the second biggest if not largest sim racing esports event there's ever been before they figure out what in the hell happened you go watch a counter-strike tournament they figure out who's won when the game says game over they figure out when a league of legends who won a league of legends game when the game is over they know who's advancing they knew that that's something that's easy to understand it's something that's easy to interpret you can't have this convoluted system that takes better part of an hour to get announced okay this is who's going to abu dhabi that has to be done and ready and in the the analyst desk hands within five minutes yeah it certainly does and you have to be able to get quick results off and available and you know who's won and you know who hasn't and you continue down that road Let's talk about some of the faults, then, that we found over this F1 2007. Oh, and just game. as an example, before we go on, before we go on, just on, on the topic, and I, I've memory serves, Jake, you were part of this. Actually, you might have not. It just may have been me, Will, and Cisco. People are saying, oh, well, it's not that easy to calculate points on the fly. Go back and watch the 2016 finale of the Blancpond GT World Championship race from the Nürburgring. It's a it three-hour race. race. I wasn't there. Yeah, it was the one race you weren't there. Me... Cisco and Will are sitting there calculating points for what was essentially going to come close to being a three-way tie for the championship between NX Red, Coanda, uh, and Core, Heinzenville Core, not Core Sim Racing, different Core. But we were sitting there on air doing the calculations. That's how simple a points format should work. 
That's that's the simplicity. The people that are there at the analyst desk should be able to keep, you know, essentially if they're following along with the race, they should be able to keep track of what's happening. If if your system is that much convoluted and so dependent on post-race decisions, then, you know, that's just it just ruins the flow of the finals. Yeah, it certainly does, and that's got to come in mind. So in terms of points, you've got to make it very simple. And that's been the crux of Formula 1, and that's the crux of using a Formula 1-based point system, the same that SEO is also using that same Formula 1 point system. But we talk now about the game and the issues that we saw. And the first thing that comes into mind when you look at any broadcast at all is your graphics and your overlays. And safe to say, it looks very much like a game. Well, that's what it was. Those, those were not um, overlays... Like what we do at uh, we do at Race Spot, or like you would do at GSRC or Apex or Max Speed or LSR TV or any of those. Th- those were not post done, you know, built to spec overlays. Those were the those are, that is the overlay that's built into the game. Does the game have the SDK access that iRacing has that we're so used to that allows us to have all these nice whizbang gadgets? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I honestly can't say. I'm going to assume that it's probably not the case. But you're absolutely right. The The overlay looked amateurish at best. You have, you know, on you know on screen, it essentially how we knew that they were uh, observing with an Xbox controller. One, well, the fact that the guy tweeted it out later, which is fine. Like you said, there's nothing wrong with that. But having press X, you know, I think it was right trigger and left trigger to switch drivers. And you had y. like X and Y. Yeah, there was X and Y on the bottom of the screen. I can't remember what all the commands said uh, here. But you, that that can't be there. That just, it looks stupid. Go watch, I mean, go Anything. watch a Counter-Strike event. Go watch League of Legends. Go watch Halo. They don't have that same issue happening with, in terms of observing the events. That's That can't be something that is an issue. And what ties into this is the fact that the observer slots take up slots in the lobby. That can't be something that happens either. Ten years ago, you're talking about Counter-Strike, or excuse me, you're talking about Call of Duty. Sure, you can get away with that because that's, you know, somewhat older technology. Ten years have now passed on. iRacing has really set the standard in what you're able to do observing-wise. You have however many people you can get into the, uh, into the sim, which is... 62 car max with i believe it's seven car uh i think you can have four drivers per car actually log into the server plus 50 spectators that's somewhere in the realms of three to four hundred people that can be on your server how bad is your networking how bad is your net code if you're gonna have the grids be set at a max of 10 drivers because you can't put spectator slots that don't take up driver grids grid spots exactly and that's something that comes into play. Maybe it comes from a cross-portability, having uh, that big issue, actually, of having to work in all platforms. And I think that's one of the other issues that I think you'll find, Randy, when you get a game like this, the fact that it has to be available to run on PlayStation 4, on Xbox One X, on on PC as well. And even though it's PC, do you feel that it's limited by the fact that it's still got to hit the console market as well. Do you think that it, it's sort of finding the same sort of issues that Assetto Course is finding? Well, I I don't know enough about the networking engineering behind the scenes for PlayStation and Xbox, but I don't, based on the understanding I have, I don't see any reason why at least this, 
you know, specific example, when it, when it comes to observing, I don't see why having the Xbox or the PlayStation uh, being a part of it would be something that would limit it. Um, you know, that that should be something that's doable. You look at all, all the esports that are currently being played right now, do not use spectator slots in that format. You look at Counter-Strike, the observers basically connect into the they can connect into the game but they do so in a very different way same with league of legends same with dota they don't take up player slots they are essentially the spectators are their own entity and they fall into a different realm uh this was i i can't believe i'm having this conversation again because this is a huge talking point back in 2008 2009 2010 when the Halo community was waiting for a new game, a big thing the Halo community wanted was a spectator ability. They wanted they wanted the ability to connect into the server, into the game, as a spectator. In Halo, we didn't have that ability back then. I believe it's built in now, finally, some 10 years later. I can't believe that 10 years down the line, I'm having to have the same conversation about a PC title. It's just, it's, it's amateurish, it shows a lack of effort, it shows a lack of caring. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sure that Codemasters loves having Formula 1 uh, tied with them as a partner, I'm sure they love having this big eSport event, but they're dropping the ball in basically almost every way. You can definitely see it that way, and I think it certainly does show when Rocket League can people in play where uh, in terms of having spectator spots and maybe formula one can't in the same sort of and that's cross cross platform too yeah that's pc playstation xbox exactly and i think that's something that you definitely find um something that i was looking at was the pit stops themselves randy and uh you i noticed it in race two uh they also became apparent race three race four is that they'd pull into the box they put on tires but the other tires would just stay there. So effectively, you're just morphing tires together. Yeah, it was sort of, you know, they, they'd come in the box and they, I mean, they have the full pit crew. And I understand why that looks better. Uh, and that said, some of the camera angles were pretty, pretty nice from, you know, a development standpoint. You know, Agreed. props there for having, uh, you know, the, the actual in-game inbuilt camera angles that work on pit lane. But you're right, the... Uh, the tires would come off the car, and the tires would basically go right on the car. That's something that, if you want to be showing that, you can't really have that happening, because it just looks sort of meh. This is something that iRacing, they're about to open Pandora's box, I believe. You know, we're about to, you know, they, they just announced that there's a number of, uh, a number, let's say, that? yeah, the pit crew members is what I'm trying to say. You know, that's going to be something really, really interesting. And especially, you know, for iRacing, talk about having their hands full. They have NASCAR-style pit stops to do, Formula 1-style, IndyCar-style. They have sports car racing. And if you look at the actual cars on the sim, you're talking wildly different rule sets in terms of how many people are allowed on track at once. I mean, they're going to have their hands full in that regard. Codemasters in F1 2017, they really have it easy. They essentially... They need to work on one animation because that one animation will get copy and pasted for every single team on the grid. You're not going to have the pit stops be different from a Mercedes to a Red Bull like you would say between a McLaren GT3 car and a BMW GT3 car. They're simply put just going to be identical. So it's essentially just copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. The fact that it's so buggy and sketched out that the tires just they they disappear off the car and then they disappear back off on the car shows like i said there's 
issues with the netcode that are, you know, really not that really limiting what the sim can do in my opinion it's and it's not yeah you know a lot of people like oh well you're just nitpicking dude a company like codemasters has so much money behind the scenes that letting those sorts of little bugs sneak through is not something they should be doing granted it could be the madden effect i mean you talk about the madden franchise uh the fact that we'd see a different madden game every single year and it's essentially just the same madden but with different players plugged in Codemasters and F the F1 games have been doing the same thing every single year. There's a new game. Maybe there's issues because of that. Maybe they need to look into releasing a game once every couple years so it's a little bit more polished than once every 12 months. But I don't know. It, it Some things, at least, you know, that was just another thing that was left to be desired, at least for me. Yeah, you certainly see areas where a lot of work can be included on and can be you know, developed a lot more. You talk about the fact that Codemasters even do multiple games as well. You talk about the Dirt franchise that they certainly have available to them and are working on as well. And they're always trying to make sure that everything is working in the best possible way. Uh, just trying to go through my notes here and find what else that I picked up graphically wise. And one of the things I was looking at was the color palette that was presented. And it is... I can understand the why they have gone for a very bright and uh, I, I'd say plasticky sort of color palette because they are also having to remember that they have to, you know, basically market to children as well that are six, seven, sometimes even three plus is the game rating, but market to three-year-olds as well. Uh, you look at the color palette, it is very bright, I, I, I think is the right word. It's not a huge point of contention with me because I, I can see the business reasons behind it but in terms of giving off this realistic look it it, it almost looks I, I'd say utopian in, in a sort of way Randy. yeah it looks and the thing is that it looks odd because it looks bright but if you actually look at it it looks just I, I just can't find I don't know how to really describe it it just you know it, it doesn't look realistic but it's made to look so good that it's beyond realistic. Now, I don't know if they were limiting the graphic settings for broadcast itself. I don't know what it was, but you are right. It is very bright. It's very vibrant. And that is sort of one of the ways that a lot of racing sims go to make their sim look better, um, especially than a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the competition out there. There's been a lot of racing sims that people talk about how realistic it looks. And you look at it, and it's like, what are you talking about? Real real life doesn't look anything like that. It might look good. It might look impressive. But there is a difference between looking realistic and looking impressive. I wasn't... I'm not going to say I was impressed with the graphics. Um, you know, there were other things that were holding back the game, I felt. Uh, you know, but I, I definitely do notice what you what you're saying things look plastically the the textures look sort of weird nothing really look metallic uh very vibrant colors not necessarily a bad thing but you know something that was sort of just a little off yeah ever so slightly um that you definitely did see that sort of area being done and in terms of my notes i've i've gone through my list i wonder if you've picked up anything else whilst you were going through and being a little bit more thorough than me I've pretty much, you know, most of the topics I felt, you know, we pretty much hit. Like I said, you know, it overall the event was okay. You know, like I said, the production was good. I think considering the people that were there and their experiences, they did good. 
I think that the community itself needs to stop allowing themselves to be second race and just be commanded by the real racing community. Uh, and they also need to not just lay down and die to the esports community. They can't just be like, oh, well, we're so small, so we have to deal with whatever analysts and whatever we get dealt that may or may not have any experience, you know, with our with our market. Uh, you have to allow yourselves, allow ourselves. We need to push to expand the community as a whole. The idea that, oh, well, no, because they're the experienced group. It's like, no, they're not the experienced group. They don't understand anything about this market. They don't know anything about the drivers. Yeah, they might know motorsport. Yeah, they might know esport uh, production work and broadcasting, sure. But have they worked in both like so many people have in sim racing the last handful of years? Answer is probably not. Stop letting yourselves be second rate. You need to be first rate. Push for improvements. Yeah, you certainly do. And I, I want to talk about the broadcast a little bit more. I, I, I was looking at it from start to finish. I think it stopped at somewhere around four, four and a half hours for what is four races. And it worked out to about maybe 60% of the entirety of the broadcast being filler. I, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like when you look at NASCAR or let's say American football and after every play it goes to an ad break or after 15 laps it goes to an ad break it's a little bit different in that sense but having over 60 percent of your broadcast being filler and talking about things you know esports I find has to be engaging to a millennial audience if you're sitting around for two and a half hours watching this broadcast and nothing's happening you can very easily switch off Randy yeah it's not it's not ideal, and it's one of those situations where this is, I mean, this is just another example of a hump that esports has gotten over in their own way. In esports, you know, this used to be a problem. You'd have, and you've had, you'd have uh, a match happen, two teams, and this is, this is true for any of the titles, be it League, Dota, Counter-Strike, Halo, to a certain extent, um, what would generally, at StarCraft as well, you'd have a match happen, and then, you know, it'd go to the analyst desk, and then it'd be a 30, 40, almost hour-long wait as you got the new teams coming and they get set up. They have to get their settings in. They have to, you know, make sure they get hardware drivers installed. That wasn't quite so much the issue because, of course, drivers weren't hooking up their own wheels, their own pedal sets. They were using, you know, provided hardware. But in esports, the way they dealt with it is that instead of having a station be 10 computers for a 5v5 match, they would have a station be 20 computers for the big broadcasted uh, games anyways. So essentially, if you're, if you're, if there's a broadcasted match happening and you're the next broadcasted match, they're over there on the other side of the stage playing. And while they're playing, you have time to get set up so that instead of having 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour to get yourself, you know, set up for the next, uh, the next game for your game, they essentially just kick in after about five to ten minutes of analyzing, maybe one short commercial break, allow the broadcaster to catch their breath, allow the commentators to catch their breath, uh, you know, maybe do a couple interviews with some of the players, and within about ten minutes, you're back into the next set of games. That's something that should probably be looked at. Allow, you know, look at getting some other rigs. Yeah, it's expensive. I know it's expensive, but it's expensive to run an esports event for Counter Strike as well, and they get by. You know, it's it's just sort of you're gonna you're gonna do a lot more racing. You're gonna do a lot more racing in less time, and you might even find yourself. You know what? Let's bump up the length of the races because I think one of the you know for me as you know maybe a slight niche, the races were pretty short at 13 laps. Wasn't you know people talk about strategy? There's only so much strategy you can pull in a 13 lap race. 
Yeah, there certainly is. Uh, it did benefit from the fact that tyre wear was accelerated because of that sprint format, but we didn't see massive differentiation strategy, and that would have been nice to see, especially with three tyre compounds, the fact that you're only ever going to see two tyre compounds on a sprint race. That's something that definitely catches my eye. But uh, I want to talk about the viewing figures that uh, were meh. battered about. It is a little bit meh, but there, there is still some point that you talk about Formula 1 being good, and there's a little bit of... Uh, looks at what has happened. Um, I'm getting... I was looking at the peaks. We had a 9k peak on Twitch, a 6k peak on Facebook, and a 13k peak on Sky Sports F1. Uh, they don't... They're not massive, but I think that the Twitch numbers can be considered quite impressive, considering that they literally created the channel a few days before they actually went through. When you look at Visa Vegas E-Race, which had very similar numbers, um, that went through E-League TV, which had a massive fan base. So it showed that Formula 1 had a way to go forward. But only a 13,000 peak on Sky Sports F1, you, you kind of have to call that disappointing behind a paywall. It's not that great. People people are looking at the viewership and they're like, oh my God, it was so good. Yes, the, viewer, the viewership, considering you know the average... The average viewership that you get for a sim racing event, yeah, it was pretty dang good. But it should be pretty dang good because you're going to have everyone from all the sims tuning in. This is similar to what happened for the Vegas E-Race. This is where all the communities are essentially to a certain extent going to come together and you're going to see a lot of that. Plus, you're going to get some overlap from some people that have done, uh, that, you know, of course, watch real world racing because Formula 1 is going to be hyping it out there. But like you said, from a... From a Formula One sponsored event, it's just not the greatest thing that's, you know, Formula One pushed this out. Formula One has millions and millions of fans throughout the world to only hit about 16, 15,000 viewers, whatever it is, if you actually combine them, assuming there's no overlap between them. It's good. It's an improvement, yes. But what you need to be looking at is averages, and you need to be looking at averages over time. Are we going to see that same viewership out at Abu Dhabi? I'm not sure. I'm not quite as optimistic as a lot of people are. I think it, it could be less. It could be more. I really can't say. It depends on how it's marketed. You also have to look at viewership over time. I know this has been, you know, this has been such a huge talking point as well. Um, at least for us at RaceBot, this whole streaming on YouTube versus streaming on Twitch argument. Was streaming on Twitch the right thing for an event that's sponsored by Formula One that's being pushed so heavily by a real-world uh, motorsport? I'm not so sure because, you know, people like to say, you know what, there is an overlap in the market. And to a certain extent, I will agree, there is an overlap in the market. The problem is there's a lot of racing fans. Everyone, everyone knows YouTube. Everyone's familiar with YouTube. Everyone's been on and watched their favorite meme compilations or whatever they do on YouTube. Everyone pretty much with an internet connection is familiar with that website. There's not a lot of people outside of the gaming community that are familiar with Twitch. Could YouTube be a better format? I think so. A lot of people think, well, it's a video game, so it has to be on Twitch. I think they look at it through a very, very narrow-minded view, and they just get caught up, one, between watching things like Counter-Strike and League, or two, all they really want is their chat emotes. I've just found something very interesting here. Oh, God. I, I, I've looked at the Formula 1 YouTube channel, which has 733,000 subscribers. And I've looked at the... 1%. Episode looked at the F1 eSports semi-final highlights 
and I see 329,000 views. Now, if, if that's not a sign that you put that on YouTube, I don't know what is, Randy. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, and, you know, people are going to be like, oh, my God, it's so good. You know, 700,000 people on YouTube, and the peak viewership I saw live on Twitch was 7,000. And people are like, oh, my God, 7,000, that's so good. You just hit 1%, 1% of F1's potential audience. 1%. Exactly. And that's not brilliant whenever you look no. at when you talk about 1%. Uh, unless you're the top 1%, but that's another thing. But overall, what we can take away then from these semi-finals, which were branded as semi-finals, but aren't actually semi-finals because they happen at Abu Dhabi. What was your overarching opinion? And let's just say a score out of 10. Um, You know, the on-track action was decent. There were some good races. There were some subpar races. Uh, I... I'm going to give it a five. I think the sim racing, like I said, I think the sim racing community, they're going to look at this and they're going to be like, it was really, really good. I think people need to actually look at what's happening. Some of the other, the other esport um, uh, mediums and know and understand that sim racing is capable of that. The community is capable of that. The talent does exist within the community to put on that same sort of show. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's the fault of some of the people on the production side of things. Uh, to get themselves out there a little bit more. The on-track action, like I said, that wasn't really the issue. But I think the game itself leads a lot to uh, be desired. I think the production, like I said, like I've said a couple times, um, needs some more people from within the sim racing community, uh, especially on screen, people who understand who these drivers are, people who understand what these drivers have done, uh, and overall just a change of mindset from within the hierarchs of of this league and of this series to allow the drivers to promote themselves, allow the uh, teams to promote themselves, allow their sponsors to promote themselves. That's how this, I think, could really grow. If it wasn't for all those things, I might look at giving it a 7 out of 8, but or 7, excuse me, 7 or an 8, not 7 out of 8. Uh, but I'm going to say 4 out of 10 for the sim racing community as a whole. That's very interesting. And I like looking at broadcasts in the sense of... How does this move the needle in sim racing? What necessarily moves the needle in sim racing? Because you look at, say, iRacing's needle and what's moving the needle in iRacing. You talk about LMP1. That moves the needle. You talk about day-to-night transitions. That will move the needle. You talk I can about... feel my needle moving right now. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so we're going to talk like that. <laughs> oh, okay, that, that's how it's going to be because we're getting late. But the point is... I don't see how this has essentially moved the needle forward for broadcast. There are innovators, and then there are companies that jump on the hype train. And I can't help but feel that Formula One jumped on the hype train when Formula E decided to be the innovator. And because of that, you know, you'd expect Formula One to do a much better job. When in reality, I'd say they were either par or slightly over par with the fact that they had a lot of technical issues. Granted, it wasn't the massive faux par at the finale of Vegas E-Race where we didn't know who a winner was. Yeah, no one had DRS stuck open. Yeah, that's true. Nico Hulkenberg, Oli Pakalo, even though uh, <laughs> Oli didn't make it with his fan boost help at all. But you look at this situation and you think, how 
should Formula One do an esports broadcast when they are the leading motorsports broadcasters in the world? Apart from maybe NASCAR or maybe IndyCar. But you think Formula One is the premier motorsport racing in the world. And quite simply, it, it didn't look like it was a Formula One done broadcast. It looked like it was someone else. It looked like it was someone trying to get into that industry. It didn't look perfect. There were areas that weren't professional, looked amateurish. And ultimately, that leaves me on a borderline between a three and a four out of ten. It, it, there was good racing. There was good action. I can't fault the action that happened, but there were some really basic errors that sometimes... You don't even see in basic leagues that just start up and go, hey, I want this broadcast done. There's no issues here at all. And on that note here, I am going to say thank you to Randy Cheneth on my right-hand side. And I am going to say that to anyone who has been watching, thank you very much for your time here on Sim News TV. You can catch all our weekly and bi-weekly shows, the likes of Parker's Pit Stop, iWeekly. Um, you talk about the Super League show that has been going on or has maybe been a little bit quiet over the while. But for the time being, I've been hashtag Do You Mind Jake Sperry, and this was an F1 Fallout.